Welcome to Ready For, a podcast dedicated to equipping college parents with the tools they need to have meaningful conversations with their students. I'm Keelan Myers, a residence director at Belmont University. On this podcast, we talk with guests that we consider experts on the topics we're discussing. In this episode, we're talking to Dr. Tandi Dinani, the Director of Global Education at Belmont University, about study abroad opportunities at Belmont. We hope you enjoy. So, Dr. Dinani, mm-hmm. um, uh, how can parents uh, best help their student navigate the best study abroad location and length program, how can they help them consider all of those things as they're you know, thinking about study abroad? Yeah, I would say, so the interesting thing is when we see students return, um, we see them return in, in such a different gamut. Um, many of them return and want to continue processing. They want to know, how do I utilize that experience? Um, how do I, where do I go from here with that experience? And sometimes they'll come in and they'll ask me those questions. A lot of times what I've found is that if they choose the right program for them, um, for themselves, um, that has a different impact than if they don't. And so one thing that I've really started to talk to parents about is helping students choose the right program based on their personality. Sometimes students think, I need to choose a program based on my classes, or I want to choose a program based on location, or this is the most popular location, or this is where all my friends want to go, or we've heard about this. But the flip side is, is that when they choose based on, I'm an introvert. I don't want to be living out of my suitcase for three straight weeks and picking up my suitcase every single day, getting on a bus at six, getting off at two, or wherever else. And so by the end of it, they're drained. And by the end of it, if I've got tons of introverts on a program like that, they're all drained, they don't want to talk to each other, they don't want to be in class anymore, and they're just ready for it to be done. There's other programs where sometimes then, when they choose the right location for themselves, so that it's one of those, it's a good balance, is that, yep, I have class for a few hours, I get my afternoons off, or I have my weekend off to go explore and to still give me that ability to still be an introvert, have group time, have think time, work on projects, but then be by myself, we do find that those students then return um, and actually still appreciate who they were with, appreciate their faculty, um, and can process that information better. So it really does depend on the student. When we find students that choose programs um, that fit them, um, then it actually really helps and they actually really then gain the, the, the most out of it. The second piece becomes um, when, when to study. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's many times, so we do have students at the end of their freshman year, many times they'll go on a faculty-led because it fits, they can get some of their gen eds done. We have transfers you study abroad a lot because they can make up all those bell cores that they didn't have at that former institution, um, their religion courses, their writing courses, all those, they can get all that done in a, sem- in a summer. Um, we will then even have who goes on a, on a semester. If a student wants an internship abroad, um, it becomes really important what classes they're saving. Um, and so we tell students, get into the office early, talk with your advisor, learn your program, get in early so that we can also then tell you, save those courses if you're interested in doing an internship. So it could be that they're studying abroad after freshman year, they're going again after sophomore year, and in doing so, they've actually knocked out an entire semester. And so then they're graduating early. They're picking up second degrees, so doing quite a number of things. But for parents, I would say advice um, and how to help students navigate, um, help them based on their personality. Is what are the, what's their goals? What would be the ideal for them to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with that, 
so many, and you mentioned 700 students for this upcoming mm-hmm. term you're trying to work through. Uh, that's a lot of students for your office to manage. <laughs> mm-hmm. If a parent is talking to their student and the student says, I don't even know who to like ask questions mm-hmm. if I'm considering these two or three different programs, mm-hmm. who should they go talk yeah, to? Yeah, good question. So on the website is first our, our website, global.belmont.edu. They can see all programs being offered. So faculty-led programs means that it's really the faculty leading the program. On that site gives every single faculty members con- or faculty members email, phone number, office. So not only do they have us, they can utilize the site to see how what the what's the the courses, the dates of the program. But we highly recommend that students reach out to faculty mm-hmm. and then ask those additional questions. I'm interested in your program. Tell me a little bit more about the design. Yeah. Tell me like will we tell me what the itinerary looks like? What will we do? How many days will we travel? Um, all those different pieces. And so we do that on purpose because then faculty actually are the ones really help recruit who really communicate with their students mm-hmm. and then they actually take it from there right mm-hmm. how often do you find that your students are going on trips in part because they are familiar with those faculty members mm-hmm. and what is the what is the process that you look for when seeing whether a faculty member would be a good fit for yeah that's great that's actually one of the key things so when you see research that talks about why students actually end up studying abroad a lot of the research for many students it's because a faculty member they had a faculty member contact and connection and so for our faculty we talk a lot about that is when they're at the fair in the fall is then faculty that's the reason why they're there and that's the reason why we have every single faculty member leading a program at the fair so students can first talk to them and meet them it's also the reason why we give all their contact information again students can contact them reach them faculty are engaged um, and they want students to go also because it helps create that connection before they're in country with them so then they know, got it, I know Tyler, I know Logan, I know this, I know that, I know Jennifer. Um, so for the faculty, but then also for the student, is it helps set up that, that group dynamic even before they get there. So we do recommend that faculty um, and students, they connect with those faculty before they leave. Um, they are accessible. Um, because they also so faculty actually work in the process they will communicate in their classes they better communicate in their classes Um, (laughs) so they'll communicate in class and they'll let students know some faculty will send out emails to their department and say hey students in this major this is where I'm going Um, and so the programs where there's a strong faculty connection are actually the programs that fill literally when applications open so this last year, October 2, we opened applications at noon, um, right after the fair ended. By that evening, by 4 o'clock, by the time we left the office, 400 applications had already come in. Wow. And the reason why is that those faculty started communicating as soon as classes started in August. Mm-hmm. And they were telling students, hey, this is where I'm going this year. This is what we're going to be doing. So every single class, they were talking with all their students. These are the classes you can take. So students were waiting for us to just open up the link because they already knew where they wanted to go. We keep all that information online so that students can see it before those applications open. Um, But those that literally, in a sense, it's kind of like anyone, is faculty. If they're um, students like their certain faculty, they're like, I love having them in class. I want to take another class with them. Um, That really does become a good connection. And for us, we, it helps us too, because then we actually rely on faculty too to say, okay, this is the pool of students looking for this program. Um, uh, do you have any that are a certain major? There are times where there's programs where we may say there's a prerequisite mm-hmm. because it's a higher level course. So then those faculty know who completed the prerequisite, who didn't. Um, and so then we actually really work well with our faculty as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I think, um, so you are doing a lot of work on the front end in terms of preparation. It's not like I just, like I sign up and now I'm just going on this trip. So things are happening and it seems like you all do a good, like a good job vetting that process. When it comes to preparing a student and they have an opportunity to make this either a good trip or a trip that they would have gotten, they wish they would have gotten more out of. What do you all see as those things that determine like a student's success? Yeah, that's a, that's, wow, that's a really good question. So I would say what makes success, what, de- what determines a student's success, what doesn't? Some of it, so faculty, so we do a certain part too. In the spring, we do pre-departure orientations. So we actually, every single student that goes on a program on our faculty leads um, does actually have a session with me. Some of that just goes over just the logistics of, don't forget, this is when your bills come, this is when your academics, this is time to register, this is how to stay healthy in the country, um, this is what we expect, this is when you will get a call from me overseas um, <laughs> that says you're now in trouble. Um, so all those pieces. But then it also is, is that then we work with our faculty too. We ask those faculty to hold pre-departures before they even leave so that students get a chance to meet everyone else going on that program. So some programs will start in February, others will have their first pre-departure in March, others will April, but they may do two meetings in April before departure. We ask them to do that to help set up group dynamic as well. To then start talking through, start meeting each other, start learning about each other, start learning about that curriculum. Um, Then most faculty will send out those syllabi as well to say here's where um, what we will be studying, here's where we're going, here's some things that you may want to read ahead of time. The more that a student reads ahead, learns ahead, and in a sense is glean and take everything you can from this this program. You've got this experience overseas, you're going to be in, in Mongolia. Um, did you learn anything about Mongolia before you go? Because and then when there is free time, if, if when there is free time, we want you to adventure. We want you to get out. We want you to see safely and healthily, but we want you to actually explore. Um, and so then all those connections. So when a faculty member is taking them somewhere and talking about something, they have additional connections. And so then it's going, oh, that makes sense. I was reading about it. I saw this. And now you're grounding that experience for me to help round it out. And then it, um, that's when we watch someone really gain um, a lot of experience from those different, those different pieces. Another thing we want is that students not just see it, but that they understand it. And if they don't have, in a sense, um, if they just are passing through a bus or they're just passing and grabbing gelato, but never really understanding where is gelato, why is this so key, why is it so like foundational to what Italians do, why is it not like American ice cream, you know, and so it's because it comes back to what are the products being used, how do they see and how do they value food and what things they put in their body. One thing that becomes really interesting that I love talking to, especially students that go to the UK, is in the UK, um, I've had every single year, especially semester students and everything else, talk about, and actually all throughout Europe, I have them talk about these small fridges. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, there's always these small fridges that they have in their houses. <laughs> and so I help them understand, I said, so here's the thing, and so we're so used to, especially when they come to the States, is our huge fridges in our kitchens that are all stainless steel and like you can open it up and it's like the size of a truck um, and it's all <laughs> these different things. And so it's really helping students go, but let's actually hone in deeper. Let's hone in as to why Europeans and the UK, why they, Australia, almost everywhere outside the US, why do they not have these massive fridges? Mm-hmm. Let's look at our food. What's going on with our food? We have so many preservatives in our food. 
We have so many things that makes it last in our fridge for a month, you know, before we ever see anything happen to it. What's happening overseas with their food production is that they haven't imported all those, those preservatives, meaning food is naturally supposed to go bad. And so how they look at it is, is that um, I have it in my fridge for a day or two, I eat it, and I'm done. I go back to the store on my way home, I get the next thing, I eat it, and I'm done. What is this? And so when we look at that, and so when preservatives are in our body for that long, they don't leave our body. <laughs> they don't break down. Hence the reason. And so helping students make that connection to, oh, their natural lifestyle is eat for what I need for when I need it let it break down, and eat it before it goes bad, go back to the store, there's more. What do Americans have in their mindset that says, eat, save it, keep it in the fridge for a month because I'm never gonna get any more, and in doing so, I'm gonna add preservatives to my body. What does that do even for um, obesity in the States? So when students start to make all those connections, most of the time they return and they're like, I love their lifestyle because it is actually much more sustainable and healthy. And so when we make those connections, students understand it very different as well. I feel like I need to go right? on a study abroad kitchen Let me know which now. one you're going, <laughs> oh right? Gosh, yeah. Let me know. It's fun to watch what commitments students make to their own livelihood afterwards. And so I'll have students that say, this thing that I learned in this country, I'm actually gonna implement the rest of my life. Whether it be, I'm walking more, I don't utilize my car as much. A half mile is good for me. It's healthy for me. Um, and how do I maintain who I was? How do I see that I like alone time? I'm okay to be alone. I'm okay to actually enjoy things by myself. I need processing time. I want to actually read the news. I want to actually explore because all these people in other countries are doing this naturally and I didn't realize it was a piece missing for me. So it's fun to watch as they return to say, this I've committed that I keep in my lifestyle. Um, so yeah, it does become an interesting balance when we watch. Um, and sometimes I just don't know. <laughs> How would you uh, recommend parents engage with that uh, kind of post that's, uh, that's a really fantastic question because each semester, especially semester students, I'll get it with, with May masters in our short term, but I really get it with our, our semester students too. So even this week, I've had three different students return and come in and want to sit down and process. And, and I'm just so used to it now that I'm like, I know which questions to ask. And so I won't just ask, how was it? And so I'll ask, how's your transition back to campus? How was your transition in your communication with friends? And it's interesting because time and again, they're like, ah, oh, they just don't know the questions to ask. Mm -hmm. And the questions to ask is typically, for most of us, for any of us, we ask when someone comes back to work, back to vacation, back whatever, how was your vacation? Mm. Good. And we're like, great. great. <laughs> and now let's move on. And it's one of those, and so they're just not used to it anymore because when they're in other cultures, and it's very much an American culture, that we ask it because it was a nice question to ask. And it was the right question to ask. Mm -hmm. And I show I care. And then when they get overseas, it's one of those, that's not the question people are asking. They're actually asking specifics. Mm -hmm. How was your, tell me about your housing. What was it like? What, how was it different? How was it similar? Would you go back and stay in that same housing? Would you shift how your housing is here? So specific about living. Specific about food. Specific about friends. Specific and drill in deeper. And some of it is Americans, as we learn even, how to ask specific questions. Mm -hmm. And then go deeper and ground that. 
um, not just how, would you do the same? Would you return to that country? Would you return for shorter, for longer? Um, what would make you want to return for shorter? What would make you want to return for longer? And so it's really helping because ultimately is all these experiences are packed in our students. So I literally had this conversation with a student this week. All those experiences are sitting in this, in, but they don't know how to untap it. Because so much happened subconsciously. So much processing happened subconsciously. So they don't even have access to their own information. And it's almost like they need the person across the table to help them unpack and sort it out. Because for them, they are used to, I don't even know where to start. Help me. And so it's interesting for our students too, is they're asking, I don't know how to get them to ask the questions to help me unpack it. And so what we do is we do do some pre-departure or re-entry events with students too, to help them find a space where others who are, at, who are experiencing the same thing with friends, they can actually then start to unpack together. Um, and so that's really where it becomes significant is um, when they come back, are we just asking how was it? And when they answer good, they literally are like, please ask me the next question. Please ask me more. Um, but we've got to find a way to help them ask the right questions that help them unpack it all. That's great. Yeah. That's cool. That makes me, this conversation is making me feel like a worldly citizen when it comes to food because I don't get a lot of food at the uh -huh. time. So my yeah. laziness makes me feel better about this. Uh -huh. But then like, I'm curious. So I ask these uh -huh. questions. So yeah. this is, this is the most uplifting podcast episode I've had. This is the most what? Uplifting episode. That's great. I'm doing everything right. You that's are. Really cool. You're yeah. right. And that's really where, um, because it's one of those, it's, it's normal. But it's not different from what we ask anyone mm -hmm. is in any relationship, we all stay surfacey mm -hmm. and we wait and we ask we ask the right, you know, we ask the right question and we ask the right way. How are you? Good. Do you really want to know? Do you not want to know? Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those when you ask that follow-up question, no, I do want to know. Mm -hmm. Okay, then I'm gonna give you a little bit more of me. Yeah. And I'm gonna give you a little bit more of my experience. Um, and so they want people to ask. They want and literally let me tell you yeah. um, what all went on, but please ask more. Yeah. And that's literally, I almost want to put a, a t-shirt on everyone, sorry. I almost want to put a t-shirt or something on everyone of, please ask more. <laughs> 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 or like a sticker on them, please ask me more, because they will. Well, talking about all these like, you know, digging deeper, and right, I, it's our turn to ask you. Uh -huh. uh, you send all these other students everywhere, and you send faculty. Mm -hmm. If you had the chance to study abroad anywhere, where would you go? Man. Huh. So, there's a few places I would study, so sorry, I can't just choose one. Okay, perfect. Um, there's a few places I would love to study. I would love to study in New Zealand. Because it's interesting, New Zealand, New Zealand's just one, some of my favorite people. Um, I'm like, you people are cool. Um, and so just because it's beautiful, um, they have this commitment to life um, that is different from what I've seen in other places. So people assume Australia and New Zealand are very similar. They're actually extremely different cultures and people. Um, they actually don't even care for each other that much. But <laughs> New Zealand's alike, we don't like those Aussies. But <laughs> and the reason why New Zealand's actually see themselves most comparable to, to Canadians and Americans, even more so than Australians. Mm. Um, but New Zealand, you um, they also have an interesting relationship with their indigenous people groups. So similar to what we see in the States with Native American um, uh, tribal groups, um, but they've done it so different is that they embrace it to say, this is actually who we start with. 
And so when you're at a state institution, the first thing is they acknowledge um, those, they acknowledge their ancestors. And that's coming in from indigenous people groups, is this is who we are, this is where we start. Just how they study, their outlook on life, how they view things, New Zealand's really neat. I also, one of my favorite countries is South Africa, um, Cape Town in particular, because it reminds me of California coastal beaches and everything else. And I'm like, <laughs> I love, I can sit for hours on any coast. New Zealand, South Africa. Well, after yeah. that, after that, um, there's so many places, and yet I'm like, then they all just merge. <laughs> Everywhere. Um, <laughs> totally, I'm like, those become my two that I'm like, mm, Australia. Yeah, I'd study in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Right the on. UK, it's just big. Um, do you know what I mean? It's a yeah. big city. So London, just big. Um, I like being in London, but it's just big. Um, and I've lived there before, so I'm like, eh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yet there's so many cultures that I would, it, it's, I'm, I'm a cultural, culturalist in a sense. Mm, everywhere. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> totally, totally. Is that enough? That's yeah. perfect, yeah. You nice. give us some great stuff. Oh, yeah. very good. Okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ready For. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at readyforpodcast at belmont.edu. That's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at belmont.edu. Stay tuned for more content coming down the line. Ready For is a podcast set with the goal to deliver helpful, quality content to equip college parents for meaningful conversations with their students. Thank you again for listening. For the Ready For team, I'm Keelan Myers.